Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. The CDC has reported that teen girls are not faring well in our current society. What's going on from depression to suicidality? What are the solutions? Where's the hope? We'll talk about that today on Trending. We're also taking your questions. 1-888-914-9149. Do you hear the news after President Biden's administration basically made it so the abortion pill can be accessible at places such as Walgreens, Rite Aid, CVS, and those three specifically said that they would carry it. Well, Walgreens just announced this week they will not sell abortion pills in the state of Kansas. I think this will be just the first of a number of companies such as CVS and Walgreens who said they would sell the abortion pill and they're going to backpedal. Uh, We'll share more with you about that in just a little bit. Also, there was a viral YouTube video of a young woman who identifies as transgender and her grandmother, she reads a letter that her grandmother wrote her telling her why she was not going to call her granddaughter by her new chosen male name. Today on Trending, joining me is Melanie Hempy. Melanie Hempy is the founder of ScreenStrong.com. Again, that's ScreenStrong.com, a resource that we should all have, uh, especially during this Lent, to work on decreasing some of our tech use from social media to actually decreasing the tech that we use itself. Uh, I know a lot of you are joining me on the Black and White Challenge. I'm on year seven of the Black and White Challenge, keeping my phone screen on black and white. And a lot of you join me and posted about that on social media as well as on relevantradio.com. You can find the article about how to do that. Uh, But why are we talking about screens? Well, the bottom line is, is that study after study is coming out regarding screens and just our overall happiness in life. Melanie Hempy is here to help provide solutions, especially for families and young people, as well as individuals. And I was fascinated as I was reading a recent study uh, chronicling a number of studies from the Institute for Family Studies. A piece was written by David Meyer where he talks about what's known as phone fubbing. And phone fubbing is where you're snubbing your friends, your family, your loved ones, because instead you're responding to the dings and the pings. You're glancing at your phone when you're supposed to be glancing at the person you're talking to. And I mean I, too, do it. We're swiping, we're checking things, we're completely tuned out of the presence of those in front of us. And so this whole article centers around studies 
regarding relationship satisfaction. And I'd love to hear from you. I've posted this on social media. Have you experienced relationship dissatisfaction specifically because of phone use? I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Joining me now to discuss is Melanie Hempy from ScreenStrong.com. Melanie, welcome to Trending. Yeah, thank you. So glad to be back. This is always so great. Your show, I love it. So, Melanie, it's interesting to walk through some of what's going on with the studies that are there that, for some reason, just aren't being talked about enough, or we see it maybe pop up somewhere such as the Wall Street Journal. We think, oh, wow, that's novel. It must really be an issue. The Wall Street Journal is talking about it. But then we just continue on our merry way, not really thinking about how it's impacting the day-to-day. It's interesting. um, There was a small study done that the Institute for Family Studies points to where basically almost 50% of people, people in relationships, reported that they were experiencing in one way or another a problem in their relationship and it had to do with some of this uh, being ignored due to the technological distractions that the other partner was succumbing to. Uh, Two other studies just really quick because it's interesting to see. Um, David Sabara talks about smartphones. He's a psychologist and in his research he's seen in particular that really these digital medias and our phones are usurping our attentional resources. So basically where we'd be responding in conversation, we'd be showing interested body language, we'd maybe be saying, oh yes, interesting. Um, That's going out the door. Our attention, um, that resource of our attention that should be given to others has totally fled. There's even research coming out of the University of British Columbia uh, really pointing to the fact that people enjoy meals less, not just when people are on their phones, just when a phone itself is present in the vicinity. So let's talk about some of this research yeah. and what we can do about it. Yeah, I love this research. It is so um, relevant today. We need to, you know, study more about this. But in, you know, some respects, we really just have to look around our own house. Like you can go find the research, but we all know this is happening. And I think one of the first things I just want to say is we're at the point in this digital dilemma where we just continue to circle the problem. And there are so many articles and there's so many people talking about it and they're just circling the problem, right? So what's hard is to actually change and to do something about it. So it's super easy to circle the problem and super easy to keep writing research articles and doing research. But what's the hardest thing to do is change, right? So it's very hard to change. But let me just say one little thing about this phone uh, snobbery that's going on, (laughs) I think that it all goes down to the fact that we cannot multitask as human beings. The way our brain Mm -hmm. is designed, and I'm currently writing a a children's course for students, so I'm so excited about it, but I'm going way down into the science on this to explain to kids in this course how your brain cannot multitask. So this is true in a social setting. When everyone has their phone out, you cannot be present with the cognitive task on hand of truly deeply understanding the person in front of you because multitasking doesn't work. Your phone is taking your attention, just like you said a minute ago about the uh, attention dilemma that we're in. Now your brain is thinking, okay, what do I do? Do I continue to listen to the story about this person's puppy they just got, or do I pay attention to my phone? Well, guess what? Your brain is always going to go to the phone 
because our brains are designed to seek out novelty. And your friend's story, while it may be a good story, it's not quite as exciting and novel as the potential message or bing or notification or something that just randomly happened on social media. Your brain is like, oh, was someone talking about me? Was that something important? And it's because of the novelty. So we're trying to multitask. And it is impossible. And so what happens, Timory, is you shift. So you were just a second ago really engaged in some empathetic conversation with your friend. Now your attention shifts because it can't do both, right? We can't multitask. That's a myth. Our brain shifts. So now we're shifted over to our phone. And what in the world does that make our friend feel like? Just Mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. They feel Mm -hmm. rejection. Mm -hmm. So there is no question why teenagers are feeling so much rejection. We'll talk about that in a minute. But adults as well, it's these little micro rejection pain points that happen. And over the course of a day, that can really, really add up because it's cumulative. When you are rejected, you don't get over it really easy. In fact, some research says it takes 12 positive interactions to overcome one negative (laughs) interaction. So that interaction of you, even at your table at dinner with your kids, you're out to dinner with some friends. You just had some of your buddies, you're maybe 15 years old and you had some of your buddies come over to play a game. Anything that interrupts that time feels painful to the person in the room because Mm. it's kind of like this. If you can remember, I don't know if you did this in your school growing up, but I remember in middle school what it felt like to all be standing there and not get picked, you know, for dodgeball, right? You want so badly to belong. You want that person to pick you. You don't want to feel that rejection. And when we are in social settings, whether we are adults, this is something you never outgrow, or a kid, you want to be picked. Mm-hmm. And you should be picked. Because you are worth picking. <laughs> right? Well, and that I think is but... at the core of the challenge here. That's Melanie Hempy from ScreenStrung.com. We're talking about the research pointing to the fact that uh, the latest phrase of fubbing is really impacting relationship satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Fubbing mm-hmm. was a word that's come out uh, by the Australians having to do with when we ignore people to just glance at our phone or swipe or check something instead of engaging in the conversation. Melanie, the University of Kent has a couple of psychologists that did some work, including Karen Douglas and Varath Shatpiya Sandalya. Uh, we'll see if I pronounce that right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it, it was interesting reading through some of the research because it really pointed to this ostracization and this feeling yeah. of being alone that is so yeah. deep-seated just by the presence of a phone sometimes, um, just yeah. by yeah. Um, the the little distraction of someone glancing down at their iWatch for every text and ping mm-hmm. that comes in. Um, and mm-hmm. so I appreciate kind of you pointing to these key things that you said we can't multitask and that we seek right. out what is novel, and that's just what our brain 
really directs ourselves to. And it makes me think of, you know, being a mom. I have a two-year-old and an eight-week-old. And I try to leave my phone in the other room because I know it's distracting for me. And I've tried Mm -hmm. for years to be careful with my phone. And, you know, there are times where I find myself on my phone, like, what the heck am I doing? I have these precious moments with my eight-week-old and these precious moments with my two-year-old. This time goes by so fast. And it makes me think... Melanie, of what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do, for I do what I want to do, what I do not want to do. I do the very right. thing that I hate to do. And that is so important that we understand. St. <laughs> Paul saying, like, my body's almost working against me, even though I'm desiring something yeah. else. And you kind of point yeah. to that. The multitasking and the novelty is what's there. Even yeah. though I love my child, yeah. the novelty of the phone is a distraction. And we've got to do something to fix it. So what do we do? Right. And so what we do is we realize that we have power over our phone, right? And we have power over our screens. We are not the victims of of these things. And the most practical thing you can do for you specifically as a young mom is to schedule that time you're going to have your phone out in front of you and schedule time that you're not and let it be. And don't be worried about it all the time because that also is a form of multitasking when you're constantly thinking about what that phone is doing in the other room. So I tell people, you know, check your email twice a day, check your social media twice a day. How about that? How about 10 minutes on social media in the morning and 10 minutes at night for the average person? Now, if you have it for your job, obviously you got to work it into your day because it's part of your, your job and your livelihood. But the average person doesn't need to be binged every minute. But this is what the attention engineers want, right? That's the way it's designed. I don't think that we should get mad at the design. I don't think that we should be angry at all the tech companies. And I do know some people really are, and that's their prerogative. I am much more interested in helping people understand, and especially teenagers, and and young families that are dealing with this, that you have the power cord in your hand. This does not have to be, you know, what it looks like. Now, you have to get educated a little bit. You have to understand about multitasking. Maybe you have to understand about how to turn all your notifications off on your phone. You have to make this tool work for you because the way it's designed is that you are working for it because this tool wants your eyeballs. And those scientists that put all those algorithms together are much smarter than any of us are when it comes to brain science. So they've, they're rocking and rolling. They got all A's in their class on brain science. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to understand what's happening. We don't get to be mad at anybody. We need to understand what our, our agency is in this. And for a young mom, you do what you're doing. You put your phone on silent, put it in the other room, go pay attention to your kids. I remember when I have, I have four children. I remember how, what a miracle it was when I was working uh, from home and I could just spend 10 minutes reading to my son. That would buy me like a whole hour <laughs> of him playing or at least 45 minutes of him playing with his blocks. Everybody wants to be wanted and we have to pour attention into our kids and to our spouses as well and into our friends. We don't have to pour attention into our phones. And if we keep choosing our phones, our relationships are really going to suffer. So Um, I, again, I don't want to keep circling the problem, right? We have to get to solutions. Your solution of the black and white challenge is fabulous. That is a wonderful place to start. But the other place is to put your phone on a schedule. 
I appreciate that you said put your phone in a schedule because I know a mm. lot of the like pro pros out there who talk about not being distracted. I'm um, near Isles, one of our regular guests here. He wrote the book Indistractable. He's all about time blocked schedules, time blocked yeah. calendars, and we'll only have time for what we make time for. We all have time. You just have to make it. And I never thought of the fact of putting your phone use into a mm-hmm. schedule. And I think that's a very um, wise thing to do. And I know a lot of, you know, parents will say, oh, well, you know, things just happen with kids. I can't live by a schedule. But there is intentionality. I can say I'm going sure. to only spend 10 minutes in the beginning of the day, like you said, and maybe five or 10 minutes at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Or it waits until mm-hmm. the kids are asleep, like whatever that is. Or And I think there are a lot of solutions out there, but I do find it interesting because it comes back to this whole idea we first kicked it off with. That the Institute for Family Studies was emphasizing that most people are experiencing some form of relationship dissatisfaction. I even just threw yeah. a couple polls up on Instagram and Twitter, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You can go ahead and vote. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, asking if you experience relationship dissatisfaction because of phone and tech use. And it's nearly exactly, both on Twitter and Facebook, that 85% of people, nearly 9 out of 10 mm-hmm. people, are saying they're experiencing dissatisfaction in their relationships because of phone yeah. use. So let's talk about a few more tips real quick, rattling some of those off. I know we talked about turning off notifications that take some work and there are a lot of nuances to notifications, um, ways we can receive them. Just shut them all off unless it's a basic, mm-hmm. just, you know, thing that says you have 10 text messages or even who it's from and a thing that says right. you missed a phone call. We really don't need everything else because we can plan when we check those other necessary apps. Um, I know we talked about having the phone ringer off. I keep my phone ringer off. I know some people get annoyed by that, but that's just something that allows me to actually get things done in life um, and be present. Um, Don't respond right away. That's a hard one, Melanie. Can you talk a little bit to the challenge of overcoming that need in our culture of instant communication because i don't expect others to expect me to respond right away but i know i want it from other people well we train people how to treat us so if you become a person who doesn't respond every second then your friends know that and that's fine and they know you're not snubbing them and you know it takes melanie to answer an hour to answer her text right and that's fine you train that you you put out what what you want the other tip that i think is super important and this is super practical is that you take your social media off of your phone and you only access your Mm -hmm. social media on your laptop. Mm -hmm. This will be a wonderful way to balance it better because you, you may not be in front of your laptop every second, the way you are in front of your phone when you're standing in the grocery store line, Mm -hmm. when you're in the carpool line, when you're going to the bank. So just access we know is critical. We know with every addiction out there, Access is the number one common denominator. If you don't have access to the drug or the drinks or the whatever it is, then guess what? You probably won't get addicted. But if you do, now you're in a whole nother realm. And so we have to work on that access point. If you don't want to eat donuts, you've heard me say this before, don't buy a dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme and put them on your (laughs) counter. Just don't do that. So if you don't want social media to interrupt your date night with your husband or you're out with your friends, then don't put social media on your phone. There is nothing urgent about social media. Maybe there's something urgent about you need the school to call you if your kid falls down and gets hurt. Maybe that's urgent. That phone, you know, can stay on phone calls, can stay on your phone. But social media does not. So imagine, just imagine for a second what your phone experience would be like if you didn't have social media on your phone. 
It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. How many urgent calls do you get every day? I remember I used this tip years ago to decrease phone use and I took social media apps off my phone and lo and behold, I don't even use Facebook anymore. I don't check Twitter and (laughs) you know, I post and interact for the show and that's about it, but I really don't do it um, personally. I do want to just rattle off a couple other ideas for helping other people to be valued um, based on how we use our tech because the reality is, Melanie, you point to the fact that many of us do have to use, for example, maybe social media in our workday or be you know, closer to our phones. And so something I've tried to do, and it may seem silly when you're doing it at first, but I really try to make it a habit, is that if I'm going to have my phone out and around and kind of be in the vicinity where I'm paying attention to it, I try to let people know, hey, I'm waiting for this call or, hey, I'm worried about Mm -hmm. this person. I'm just keeping it nearby. So if I'm glancing at it, that's why. That way they know what's going on. And it's not like I'm looking at something that is completely ignoring them. And then if I check it, I say, oh, you know what? My producer contacted me with some bad news about a guest today. Give me just a minute. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ignore you, Mm -hmm. but I do have to deal with this. That way, if they're there in the room, two things can occur. One, they know, hey, I'm working on this. I'll be with you in a minute. Or maybe I can bring them into what I'm working on and say, oh, gosh, this just happened. And, you know, you kind of you make it a moment that is more human rather than dehumanizing the person in front of you, as well as yourself by just communicating seemingly with a machine. And I think this goes the same um, approach. And you mentioned it earlier when you're at the grocery store, you know, saying hello and not being on your phone when you're checking out. I think these are really important things to be aware of. Um, And let me just add one more thing really quick to that, because this is really important. Um, About three years ago, and I can remember this like it was yesterday because it had such an impression on me. I had a meeting with someone who was a very busy person, much more, you know, important than me, right, in the business world. (laughs) And I'm sitting in his office, and do you know what he did? I still remember it to this day, and I feel the feeling to this day. He picked up his phone. He said, I'm turning my phone off. Oh, wow. He turned his phone off. He turned (laughs) his phone off for me, for a meeting (laughs) with me. I felt Mm. like a queen, (laughs) So imagine that feeling of how important you feel when someone says, you know, you're out to dinner or you're in a meeting and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm I'm turning my phone off. And Mm -hmm. he turned it off and he set it down. And I could hardly, I was just like, and it wasn't because it was me and I was like the screen lady. It was, he was just being very respectful Mm -hmm. of our time. I love that you just mentioned that because when my husband intentionally goes, and leaves his phone in the closet upstairs away yeah. from everything else. And I notice yeah. it. I love it because it's a compliment yeah. to yes. my kids, to me, to his self-control, yeah. um, to know that he yeah. has the ability to do that, that he's prioritizing us. It speaks volumes. So I love yeah. that you mentioned that story. Uh, Melanie, yeah. stay with us because I want to talk about what's happening um, with teen girls right now. But again, yes. ScreenStrong.com is Melanie Hempy. Resources to help overcome this dissatisfaction relationships because of how we use our phones. No more fubbing. No more ignoring people, that is, with your phones. And check out my black and white challenge this Lent or any time of the year. Uh, we'll post the link on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. But my article is there at relevantradio.com for you to check out. And let me know if you're doing it, how it changes your life, because it will. I'm on seven years of black and white phone screen. You're listening to Trending with Timmery. The, the number is 1-888-914-9149 if you have a question.
You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Fascinating viral YouTube video. I know we're talking all about getting off of social media and your phone, but you need to hear this. I'll talk about it in a bit. A young woman shares, while in tears, a letter that her grandmother wrote her because her grandmother told her that she's not going to call her by a boy's name. It's a fascinating take on what's happening with the gender crisis today. In just a moment, we're also going to talk about the CDC's report, and actually this is related to this teen girl, on its reporting that teen girls are not doing okay. Suicidality, depression, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Susie in Pittsburgh emailed me, she said, thank you so much for suggesting the black and white challenge. She said, I've been dependent on my phone. So she's doing the black and white challenge. I hope you'll do it with me. We post the link on social media, relevantradio.com. You can find the link for the black and white challenge, turning your phone screen to black and white. It really decreases your use. But also Susie had a question. She said, I want to learn more about Mother Mary. I love this. She wants to feel closer to her. I do have some book recommendations because that was her question. Um, She said, help. So number one, start praying your rosary. And the rosary, we're meditating on sacred scripture while asking Our Lady to intercede for us, uh, to pray to her son for us. We ask people here on earth to pray to to Jesus for us. Why wouldn't we ask Our Lady? And we do that while meditating upon the mysteries of the life of Christ. Uh, So a couple books or three books I'd recommend off the top of my head. Mary, Mother of the Son by Mark Shea is awesome. Um, True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary by St. Louis Marie de Montfort. Fantastic. That's a real kick in the butt, a life-changing book, a great one for during Lent. And another one, St. Louis de Montfort loves Our Lady. And these are books written many years ago, and I love reading older books. The Secret of the Rosary really helps you with meditation during the rosary. So those are some uh, resources. Also, read about Our Lady of Fatima and the Marian apparitions. I think the more for me, and I know there have been a lot of things that point to this, if you want to make a change in your life, read about that thing you want to change in your life. That's very important. This is part of the reason why we should be reading sacred scripture, taking deep dives into our faith so that we can grow with him. So great question, Susie. Good luck on the black and white challenge. Let me know if you are doing the black and white challenge as well. The information is on relevantradio.com. Okay, joining me now is Melanie Hempy. Melanie Hempy is from screenstrong.com. I love screenstrong.com. You need to check out these resources. She's helping people to overcome the way we use our phones, the way we use technology, and it's very important. And she has a ton of tips as well for helping make this happen in your home if you have kids too. So Melanie, the CDC came out with to some people, what is a staggering report? Can you share a little bit about um, this epidemic among teen girls and why this is connected to media use? Yeah, so teen depression has doubled between 2010 and 2019. It was already, the numbers were already creeping up, but but it's doubled. And um, it's something that a lot of people predicted with smartphone use because we know that smartphones um, cause a lot of depression in teenagers. And you might say, well, it's depressing me. And so of course it's going to depress yes. teenagers. But yes. if you, you can imagine, me. yeah, it is depressing, right? It's depressing because you got the news in your face every second and you have every graphic, you know, image, you know, pounding on you. I mean, it's very hard for us as adults, but for teenagers, this is very, very difficult 
for them to handle. It's very depressing. It makes them feel very sad. It makes them feel anxious. They worry a lot. They're worrying so much more because they are exposed to so much more than they should be. And it's not that it's all really bad, but it's too much. And most of it is bad, but it's just too much. The other thing that happens with smartphones um, is that it is causing them to be very isolated. You know, just a minute ago, we were talking about belonging and not feeling like you've been picked. Well, when you're on social media as a teenager, it is a constant barrage of rejection or potential rejection. And so it's not just the rejection, but it's what they're thinking in their head that maybe it, it's, it's they're feeling rejected because they're not getting tagged in a photo, for example, or they're not getting asked to be in a group text or being asked to be somewhere else on social media. So it's the overt and the covert rejection that's happening. The other thing is just the sheer isolation. So a lot of people think, oh, our kids have to have phones because, you know, they have to be on social media because they have to be connected to their, their buddies. But see, this is not a real connection. It is a fake connection. So it's very counterfeit. So it's kind of like winning the lottery, but then going to the store and you can't buy anything because it's, it's, it's counterfeit money that they gave you, right? And so kids are trying so hard to get this need met that they think there must be something wrong with them mm-hmm. because it certainly can't be the technology, right? Because technology is all correct and everything is perfect because their right. mama gave them the phone. Their and mom I'm the one who feels the terrible. Yeah. And I'm the one who feels yeah. terrible, right? I, so I'm comparing myself. Right. I'm, I'm feeling bullied. What did I do wrong? I, you know, I'm having body image issues because I'm looking at others. Uh, it's, I'm addicted to it because the dings, the pings, the colors meant to pull me in. Um, I'm right. failing to read people in real life and face to face because I'm losing social skills. I'm not having that so you're not practicing time. social skills. Yeah, because right. I'm not you're, having you're not, conversations. Yeah. I mean, but the other know... thing that happens is is in eighth grade, we have studies and it's in our parent course that we have these studies that we have reported on this, that in eighth grade, all the search searches change. So everything they start searching for on social media changes. So what your kid was searching for, like puppies and kittens and funny videos in sixth grade, it all changes in eighth grade. And they start searching for words like depression. So imagine what happens when you are in eighth grader and you start searching for the word depression. In two or three clicks, where do you think you find yourself? You find yourself on websites that tell you how to kill yourself. And this is a scandal of TikTok. This is a scandal of TikTok. They are taking the things that people are looking at or showing interest in, and they're taking them down rabbit holes where if you show any interest in something having to do with same-sex interaction, gender, depression, it takes you all the way into the most scandalizing and like far, far uh, down the road idea that it starts to brainwash people. I mean, literally brainwashing us. And they never, you never intended it to go there, but the algorithm did go there because that's the way the algorithm is designed. So you start off with a very innocent teenage girl who has no idea about any of these things. And within minutes, she can be down this rabbit hole. The other thing that happens with depression in teenagers is because of their activity on their phones, they're spending less time with their families. They are using their phone as their family. Their family no longer values into them because their phone is doing that for their family. So do you see what happens with video games with boys, with smartphones, with girls? 
that tends to become their life. And so it becomes their family. It becomes the place they go to get direction. And then on top of that, because they're on their phone so much, they are detaching from their physical family. And there probably has been some conflict in their home, right? Because mom is saying, get off your social media. That stupid phone, <laughs> right? And, and there's a conflict with that screen. So now it's piling up. Remember what I said a minute ago about things being cumulative. Well, that's what happens with this. So you have layers that that just get layered and layered, and then the scale gets so heavy that the child cannot handle it anymore. And because of the layers that have been built on the screen, they have detached from their family. They don't have their protective factor in place anymore because, see, mom and dad used to protect them, but now mom and dad don't protect them because mom and dad are no longer speaking values into their life because their phone is. So the conflict in the, in the home is one of the most devastating things for a teenager to deal with because they're already feeling weak. They have their sea legs. They're trying to figure out how to be a teenager, how to, you know, become an adult. And now their best coach, their mom and dad, has, has been in fights with them. They're fighting mm-hmm. with their coaches, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes a teenager feel terrible. It stunts their, um, their emotional development, and that's what leads then to this further addiction and dependency they have with their phone because they keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying to get this phone to meet their need. And very quickly we know the phone doesn't meet their need. So what's the only other option? They're going to start looking for suicide um, uh, attempts, how to do this. And you know what? They're going to find a huge uh, audience that will support them in doing this. So they could be in their bedroom dealing with all this. Mom and dad are, you know, on their phone somewhere in their house or paying attention to whatever. And these things happen and parents don't even know. They have no idea what they've done. They bought this phone for the child. The child thinks immediately it must be okay because my mom and dad bought it for me. Right. You Mm -hmm. would think that Mm -hmm. if you're a kid. And now this phone is telling me to kill myself. Just do the math. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work. It doesn't add up. And, and so it's no, it, there's nothing really complicated about this. And, and we should not be in shock and we, we, we should be in shock, I guess, but we should not be in denial. Um, the statistics in this current article that you're talking about, they're only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, because we think right. in our culture that social media is mandatory and, and smartphones are mandatory for teenagers. They are not mandatory. Right. Let me jump in real quick here, because for those who are maybe just joining us, the CDC released a shocking report showing that one in three teen girls have seriously considered suicide and three in five girls felt persistently sad or hopeless. And we're talking about solutions. What you're pointing at, Melanie, and I think this is a hard part, you're not blaming parents, but you're saying this is what happens parents when kids have phones. So it's a choice that the parents have to make. And it touches on what you were just about to really touch on. And that is feeling in wanting your child to feel a part of the group. But I mean, even just looking at the work that you guys are doing there at screenstrong.com, people who choose to have strong homes with regard to how phones and tech are used, have more peace in their homes. They go outside. They have better relationships. Mm-hmm. You just put a post up about this on social media. They have greater mm-hmm. freedom to make choices, mm-hmm. stronger connections. You actually mm-hmm. enjoy time between parents and children rather than having that constant animosity that can already be difficult enough with the growing pains of the teenage years. Right, right. And they need us to 
be that buffer. And that buffer means not giving them a smartphone. They can have a talk text phone where they can text their friends so they don't feel completely left out. But I don't recommend that till they're 15 to begin with. And even if even more if they have a job or something, but even there's some 15-year-olds that don't even need to be texting their friends because <laughs> they're just being bullied a lot. But this mm-hmm. whole idea that this smartphone world is mandatory for teenagers has to stop. It has to stop. Smartphones and social media was never designed for teenagers. And the whole rule, we talked about this before on another show, I believe, about the age of 13. And, you know, that age was never the age of maturity. That age was just a random age that was picked way before smartphones were ever invented. And that had to do with Internet security and not collecting data from children. So it has nothing. So a lot of parents don't understand that. And they think, well, it says Mm -hmm. 13. No, it doesn't say 13. It doesn't say 13 is a good age. In fact, now the Surgeon General is saying that 13 is a terrible age. And we recommend at ScreenStrong that your kids go through high school without a smartphone. It can be done. We have so mm-hmm. many families that are doing this now. In our ScreenStrong yes. Family Facebook group, we, we're just going through the roof over there. We've got so many reports coming in and so many families. If you want support, you can get in there. It really is not hard. The thing right. that is hard is to have your teenager have a smartphone and to watch the pain and the suffering and, and hopefully not the suicide attempts. But yeah. as we see from the study, they're really increasing. Melanie Hempy from ScreenStrong.com with us today. Check her workout, an excellent resource, ScreenStrong.com. And, you know, I could just keep thinking about, I run into you all the time, parents who are choosing to not have your children have the phones and you tell me how happy mm-hmm. your kids are. And I also run into mm-hmm. parents who say, you're struggling, you think you should take away the phone, you don't know if you have it in you, you feel like you're mean, Take it from the book of the many parents at ScreenStrong.com who are taking away their kids mm-hmm. and they're getting their kids back. So, Melanie, thank you for what you're doing. ScreenStrong.com, so many resources to help make this happen, to understand the research, to even present it to your kids, maybe even offer the idea to them. And you might be surprised by the response yeah. when they see that this is contributing to how they are feeling. RelevantRadio.com forward slash trending for resources to this episode to share with maybe your spouse or someone else who needs to hear this information, including maybe your teenager. We'll be right back here on Trending, taking your questions, 1-888-914-9149. Big news from Walgreens with regard to abortion and much more. I'll be right back. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888 914 9149. Okay, I have a question I want to dive into before we talk about this incredible YouTube video that has gone viral about a young girl whose grandmother wrote her a letter saying she won't call her granddaughter by the chosen new male name. Before we go there, an older sister wrote in about her younger sister to me on Instagram. She said, I just found out my 16-year-old sister is pregnant. This is very unlike her. She doesn't know that I know yet. I'm trying to figure out how to react or approach the situation in a Christ-like way when she does tell me, do you have any advice? 
Great question. Your poor sister and you in this situation, She, if you are saying this is unlike her, she, and no matter what, even if, if it was like her, I think most girls, when I've seen, they find out they're pregnant in high school. They're embarrassed no matter what. And just telling loved ones, whether it be parents or a sibling, is the hardest part. So first of all, please help make sure that your parents know, and if they don't know yet, that you help liaison that and help with recognizing you know, usually the parents' response to something like that is anger and frustration because they're shocked. It shouldn't be happening. It's not the right timing, but their reaction will calm down. And that's why anytime you know someone who's a teenager pregnant or even just a young and pregnant, helping them to tell their parents is a huge step to help prevent abortion and helping them to cope with the fact that their parents may react poorly and then calm down with time. Um, but that also helps keep the parents accountable if someone else goes in to tell the parents uh, who is pro-life. Um, okay, so that's, I think, first and foremost. But if your sister hasn't approached you to share the news yet, um, I really encourage you to prepare yourself maybe to approach her to ease that burden for her. Um, I remember I was actually in somewhat of a similar situation with a cousin of mine who I grew up like a sister to me. And she was facing a very, very young pregnancy um, out of wedlock and seem seemingly, you know, unlike her as well. It has a beautiful Catholic faith. And I remember, you know, we we're just waiting to find out, waiting to be told. And I finally just to ease the situation in a moment where she wouldn't have to talk about it. You know, I had seen her... Um, We'd seen each other at a wedding for the first time in a little bit because she was hiding herself. And I went and gave her a huge hug and I told her, I love you. And I just whispered in her ear, I know I love you. Congratulations. And just gently touched her tummy and said, I'm so happy for you. And um, it just like, it was this moment. I remember her just looking at me with these big glossy eyes and it was the relief of not having to tell, explain any of that, but just the initial reaction could be, I love you and I love your baby. You know, yes, we could say these are less than ideal circumstances, all of that. It needs to start with I love you and I love your baby. And I think that's what's so profound about uh, the crisis pregnancy centers, the pregnancy resource centers across this nation, is that that's the shocking response that these unwed mothers, women in crisis pregnancy, unplanned pregnancy situations find themselves they find themselves in the arms of counselors at crisis pregnancy centers who say, I love you and I love your baby. Let's work through this together. Those girls can take a huge sigh of relief. Planned Parenthood intentionally, when they tell girls that they're pregnant, they'll do things such as grab the arm and like squeeze it in a painful way or the hand in a painful way to associate pain with a child, to associate tension and fear and anxiety with a child. What we need to do as people of faith, as people who are pro-life, is we need to ease the fear and anxiety of the situation that naturally has those emotions with love and acceptance so that we can then start working through the situation. Um, and so I think that's first and foremost. I love you. I love your baby. And then from there, you know, what can we do about the current situation of supporting your medical health, your mental health, and maybe even housing, whatever those situations may be. And then as that starts to calm down at the same time, first, you want to make sure that she's safe with regard to the um, relationship she may be in. You know, if this has been anything such as could be rape, incest, 
or an unhealthy and unsafe relationship. Obviously, it's unhealthy if they're having sex as teenagers, but if it's unhealthy and it's unsafe situation with the the father of the child, you need to address that as well. If it's none of those things just yet, just give it a minute or two to work on the relationship side of it with the father. Um, I do think that it's important uh, that we're not... Um, Again, giving that moment with the relationship to the father and really, you know, talking about life choices. Once those major things of the current situation are settled and she's feeling settled, you start talking about life choices, what you want life to be like, what you thought life was going to be like, what we can do even in the midst of the current situation to work toward one day being married with children, um, to work toward raising this child well and having this child have the best parents. Uh, you know, talking about the gift and res- and responsibility of motherhood, even with a teenager, is important because the bottom line is, is that that teenager is pregnant now. And she holds a physical and spiritual responsibility for herself and her child to be a good, accountable parent and to have a good and healthy child. And she needs that unconditional love from people such as you to surround her. But we also have to remember that unconditional love does have expectations, such as making sure you're in a healthy relationship with the father or the child. That if you need to, you're perhaps breaking ties, not just for your sake, but for the safety of your child. That you're empowering her, even as a teenage mother, to now make those choices because she has to. Because she is a mom and she needs people to help surround her. And I think that's what's so scary with teenage pregnancy is that we have to, I hate that word, but I think it's a good word in this instance. We have to empower, but better yet, maybe equip that teenager with those responsibilities that she now holds. They're not optional now. She made the choice. Maybe she didn't, depending on the circumstances of the conception, but she's a mother. So now let's make the best of equipping her and strengthening her in this situation. And that may include the possibility of an adoption. But either way, healthy mom, healthy baby, make sure she knows that's the focus and that both are loved. Great question. Uh, I want to come up uh, briefly and just mention Walgreens says it will not sell abortion pills in Kansas. And by the way, before I come on to that, please pray for this teenager, for all teenagers who are pregnant, and for this older sister. You are a great older sister to be wanting to approach this lovingly and faithfully. Pray for her and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in all conversations with your sister and anyone who may be approaching a crisis pregnancy situation. Okay, Walgreens says it will not sell abortion pills in Kansas. This is fantastic news. If you're not up to date on it, RU46, Mifepristone, the abortion pill that is really only supposed to be taken until about eight weeks that Planned Parenthood and the abortion movement is giving out all the way to 16 weeks and further. That's not medically safe or what it's approved for. It's very damaging for women's bodies. And The current president, President Biden's administration, he's worked with his administration to deregulate the pill, making it accessible at the pharmacy, places such as CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid. So here's the deal. CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid were saying that they're going to carry it. Well, all of a sudden we're hearing that Walgreens, specifically in the state of Kansas, will not. The Kansas Attorney General wrote a letter to the retail pharmacy letting them know that the abortion pill being carried in Kansas would be a violation of federal and state law. And along with him, 20 other state attorneys wrote to CVS and Walgreens and their state saying the same thing, that if you mail or send the abortion drug, Mifepristone RU46, that you 
are in violation of federal law. So here's what happened. Daniel Gray, Walgreens chief legal officer and executive vice president, is now said that they are not currently dispensing mifepristone and they will not be dispensing it in the state of Kansas. And they will not send it from locations outside of Kansas to women in Kansas. They recognize that's against the law. Now, this is fantastic news. This is why we need to have pro life legislators, pro-life attorney generals, pro-life advocates writing companies such as CVS, such as Walgreens, such as Rite Aid, so that they do not carry this abortion pill. This new access to the abortion pill across the nation by our pharmaceutical companies because of President Biden's choice to make this accessible has all been a part of the strategy, the strategy to Make abortion expand even though Roe versus Wade was overturned. They've always for years preferred chemical abortion because chemical abortion costs them less, less overhead. They don't have to physically go through the process. And what's so sad about it is that it leaves women absolutely alone. And the pharmaceutical companies have so much money that they're not telling the truth about the aftermath and side effects of women who are suffering from RU486 abortion. Type in RU486 abortion at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Listen to the episodes where I've talked about it, the medical fallout, the damage to the body. We need to talk about this. It's such an important topic and we need to contact, and I'll post a link on social media, uh, ways that you can contact these pharmaceutical companies, Walgreens, Rite Aid, um, and CVS to say no, that they should not carry the abortion uh, pills here. Now, I know I want to talk about this incredible audio from this young girl who identifies as transgender. She received a letter from her grandmother. We'll have to save it for Monday. So join me Monday on Trending as we share this. Coming up next is a family rosary across America. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Money can't buy happiness, but budgeting sure can make me feel better about life especially when I have what I need to buy what I need. John and Amanda from WalletWin.com will join me during our weekly happy hour on Monday talking about things money, money health, habits, and they will change your life. Join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.